Hi, I'm Dirk Friel, co-founder of Training Peaks, and you're listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. I'll be sitting down with expert endurance coaches and amazing athletes, each with special stories to tell. At its heart, Training Peaks is about helping you create the best journey possible towards your endurance goals. We hope these stories inspire you to get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge. My guest today is Gabriela Gallegos, who is owner and race director at Race El Paso, which is a triathlon series with the goal of motivating the El Paso community toward a more active and healthy lifestyle. The series consists of six races in Texas and Arizona. She is a member of the USA Triathlon Board of Directors and is passionate about creating high-quality, supportive experiences specifically from members of the Latinx community. In addition to her triathlon endeavors, she is an associate professor at the UT Health School of Public Health. Gabriella, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for inviting me. This is great. Yeah, I feel ashamed in a way that this is a podcast about racing and training, and I've never had a race director on. So that's, oh, well, it's about time. I uh, know that's on me. I mean, it's the race directors that are the, I don't know, lifeblood of the sport, right? They're at the heart of everything. Yeah, there is yeah. a lot of behind the scenes, definitely. Absolutely. It's uh it's a lot of hard work. And abs- you know, I have some experience as a child. My my parents ran a marathon. They had a 10K race in Northern Colorado, and I did a whole lot of leg work for them. So I know what kind of blood, sweat, and tears goes into that. So um, really appreciate it. But you know, why don't you tell tell us about um, your races? You're in El Paso, Texas. Um, you know, what, how many races do you have? And tell us a little bit about about them. Sure. So I founded Race El Paso in 2010. We produced our first event that was Eagle in the Sun Triathlon. And it's a sprint race in a pool because we have no open water out here in the desert. And now I produce five events locally. So two triathlons, a duathlon, a kid's splash and dash, and then a half marathon, 10K and 5K. And I also produce a race in Tucson, Arizona, that is part of the Mighty Moorhead Triathlon All Women's Race Series. Um, I have partners in Austin and Miami as well that produce Mighty Moorhead Triathlon events there, but I produce the ones in El Paso and Tucson. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you have this diversity in multitude of ways. You have the diversity of your actual races from splash and dash to duathlon to running races, Mm -hmm. as well as, you know, full triathlons. Um, But then you have that diversity within the Mighty Mujeres, you know, the the race attracting it is so tell us more about that event um you know women only focus on women of color tell us how that got started and is that um really the focus and how has that grown yeah so mighty Moon triathlon took place for the first time in el paso texas in 2012 and it's an all-female race um Mujer, of course means woman and so it's mighty woman but that code switching really sends a different message you know, to who it's open to and kind of the the identity of the race. And it was really meant to be, you know, a race that is empowering and giving the idea of womanhood as powerful and strong and willing to take on challenges. Um, by contrast, you know, it's, it's not the throw a bow on it and call it a women's race, you know? Yeah. Um, it's not the shrink it and pink it mentality. So we kind of went for a very different identity on that one um, and very purposefully wanted to show a range of women. So 
women of different backgrounds, of different races, of different sizes, of different athletic abilities, and even at different entry points of the sport. You know, you've got some who are young and some who maybe did their first race at 60. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, again, that, that diversity of the, the actual race participants, but then all the other races um, is just a really cool concept that it kind of is well-rounded, um, always something new. And I think there's a lot of focus on bringing in new athletes to the sport, which is certainly, you know, necessary and definitely good on you for, for growing the sport for us. Well, it's a huge focus. You know, when I, I, I lived outside of El Paso for many years and when I moved back was shortly after I had personally discovered the sport of triathlon and just fell in love with it. And I realized that there wasn't, we, we didn't have those kinds of race offerings here. And so it was truly starting from scratch in a lot of ways. You know, there was a small community of very dedicated triathletes, but it was very small and it was not, you know, widely available because, you know, to race, you had to travel and there's not a whole lot of people who will, you know, set their first triathlon goal as something that is, you know, a long distance or far away or, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, so we really were starting with beginners at the inception of Race El Paso. Right. Yeah. The intimidation factor <laughs> that has so much to play within the sport. And if we can get rid of that, um, makes it a whole lot easier. So now you have all these races. We're in these tough times of COVID-19. Um, did any of your races actually uh, happen this year early in maybe February timeframe or even March? Not yet. So oh. we had, gosh, the first race of my season here is in April with Mighty Mohan Triathlon El Paso. And then the last one is the weekend before Thanksgiving in November, and that's a running race. So at this point, we are not expecting to host live races at least through October. Um, the next two coming up that we did have planned that you know we've now pivoted were on August 30th, and that was Eagle in the Sun Triathlon here in El Paso, and then Mighty Mohead Triathlon Tucson, which was in early October. Yeah. So, so walk me through a lot of that decision-making, um, October, I mean, you have to put a lot of things into place to make that happen. Um, is it absolutely going to happen? Do you, can you pull out of those dates? If so, what are the ramifications, you know, walk me through as a race director, every, all that kind of headache and, and, and alternative plans. Yeah. You know, uncertainty makes everything really, really tough. Um, yeah. and everybody wants a little certainty, right? Like, you know, as an athlete, you want to know if that date that you have circled on your calendar is a go, uh, and you want to know as soon as possible. So we're kind of all in the same boat with that part. Um, so initially let's see, Mighty Mohan Triathlon El Paso was scheduled for, I believe April 21st, somewhere around there. And it was early March. Um, we had not yet had any COVID-19 diagnoses in El Paso, um, but things were escalating very quickly. And so I reached out to the city and found some alternative dates. You know, At the time, I think we all imagined that by June or July, a lot of the you know, shutdown or stay at home and shelter in place would be over and we would be close to past where we needed to be to be able to gather again. Um, right. that was apparently a very big underestimation on our part, <laughs> right. um, but something we all hoped for. So at that time I 
postponed Mighty Mujer from April. Actually, it was April 25th to July 25th. And so that was the initial plan. Um, And for, for people who maybe have not thought about the behind the scenes part, you know, that one race, which is a sprint triathlon in a pool, requires six permits. So you're dealing with, you know, aquatics, parks, city, police, you know, all of these different areas um, of the city. And so we kind of had to get all on the same page to, to pick a new date. So we did that and we postponed it to July 25th and then, and to just walk you through that one race. And then we, you know, got closer and closer. And as we were realizing what things look like and what a race would look like under these conditions, um, and you know, things like that are maybe more equipment, you know, volunteers in, um, masks and wearing gloves, you know, like all those details right. kind of came down to the realization that the problem isn't the execution. The problem is the gathering, oh, right? you know? And so at what point is the gathering itself going to be workable, you know, um, and going to be fun, right? Like this is meant to be triumphant, you know, a joyful day of a day that you look forward to, not a day of, you know, anxiety and caution and, um, you know, it has all kinds of ramifications. So we did convert that race into a virtual event that is coming up next weekend. And so Mighty Mohead virtual race will take place July 25th and 26th. Okay. And is that like, you know, like participants are given a week to complete the different distances and submit them? Yeah. How is that we actually practically? did a two day window. Okay. So we, um, we took a little bit of a different approach because we had so many people already registered for the live race that we offered a really pumped up like athlete package. So people are getting all kinds of merchandise they would ordinarily pay much more for. Um, so we kind of made it a really pumped up package and then um, still kept that race weekend mentality and kept it to two days. Got it. And then what about other races? Are you, are you still making plans and how to either roll them over to a new date or refunds or next year? Yeah, like I, I tell you, things keep moving, right? So that one was a little bit different from some of the other events because the other events did not have as many registrants yet. Okay. And so it's a little easier to pivot when you are thinking about moving, you know, 50 people versus 400 people. My personal, I guess, race director rule of thumb has been that I want athletes to know what to expect two months in advance. Yeah. Um, I felt that, that that's enough time to train if you haven't been training, right? And all of a sudden decide, hey, I need to get ready for this. And right. it's also not so close that you've made so many plans that you're going to be even more disappointed. Right about that time, we've tried to make sure that we have everything in line for what's coming up in two months. So Eagle and the Sun Triathlon, which was set for August 30th, has now also been converted into a virtual event. Um, mm. That'll take place. We actually moved that to Labor Day weekend to give a little bit more cushion. And are people open to that? Or are they asking me for refunds? Do they Are they understanding? So I have to say, I am very proud to report that people have really come along with virtual racing. I think yeah. You know, when it was March and early April, I think people were very reluctant and hesitant and skeptical, you know, to some extent of like, is this going to be fun? And is this a goal worth working toward? And, you know, if I'm going out and running every other day, what difference does it make if it's on a specific day? And so that has changed. And I think that changed because so many of us experienced shelter in place orders where, 
a lot of, you know, exercise and group gatherings were restricted and then now are trying to find ways to stay motivated, even yeah. though they're not, you know, you're not traveling to a specific location to do your goal with other people. Having that personal goal has been really fundamental. Yeah. Having something on the calendar is just so darn motivating, you know? It is. It really, well, and that's what I'm saying. I think, I think that initially thinking of that as a virtual date on the calendar didn't feel real. And now that does feel real, right? As we've shifted, you know, a lot of how we're doing business. Right. And, and could that not also maybe attract even people that were not going to show up in the first place? Oh, we've seen a great increase in people who had never done a race before. And right. so I think that part has been really cool because, you know, there's a certain element of the pressure intimidation factor that are just lifted, right? If you don't have to go and you don't feel like you look the part or you don't have the outfit or you don't know what to expect, signing up for a virtual race is very low risk, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Very low risk. You can upload your results. You cannot upload your results, right? Like you get right. to kind of control the speed of your competitiveness in a different way. Right. Um, so how about on the business side of things? Is this all volunteer? Do you have staff? Do you have to do layoffs? Any, you know, on the financial side of things, are, are you going to have to close down some races or what is, what does all that mean, mean, mean to you? Yeah. The uncertainty has been really challenging, um, and really scary really, because you don't quite see where that end point is coming and where business will pick up as usual and kind of get back to um, what you could expect and predict. And, you know, the race production business is a hard one to begin with. So right. you're looking at income from registration fees, uh, from sponsorships, and then, you know, for some races from merchandise. And that's kind of it, you know, like there's not, a, I mean, I guess some, some have, you know, rental equipment, you know, there might be an accompanying timing company, you know, I don't happen to, to do race timing. Um, but it's already a tough business, right? So it's tough, but you can kind of predict, you know, when prices increase, you're going to have a bump and, you know, all those sorts of things. Right. What happened this year was that you saw, or I saw as soon as the virus took hold and shelter in place orders started. And this was, I guess, right about spring break in March, all income stopped. So right. you could predictably see what to expect week to week, you know, more or less, you could look at last year and you kind of know what the year is going to look like if you haven't right. made any major changes. It stopped like a complete wall. Um, and that was not surprising, but still a lot to kind of wrap your head around because now all bets are off with what you think you can forecast. Right. Um, and then whether people would be willing to do virtual racing was another big question. Um, so I am glad that people have come along to it because although it doesn't have the same sorts of income potential or expectation with like sponsorship or race fees and all that kind of stuff, at least it does give that steady, well, somewhat steady flow, right? To kind of keep things like staff and rent and, you know, all of the ordinary overhead charges in place. So right. I have an assistant race director and I have an intern and both of them work with Race El Paso exclusively. And then I have an, you know, an office, and of course you have all of the all of the other stuff that you need to pay for on overhead basis, right? Yeah. <laughs> so all of that stuff is still is still kind of in play. I I don't have a huge staff, and I don't have you know um, giant expenses that you know a large race company might have that's producing you know events with thousands of people. 
Um, but it's still, you know, there still is overhead and, yeah. and that's something that, um, that is concerning, you know? So it's been, it's been stressful. I think it favors those who are nimble and willing to take some new risks and, and see how you can make it work. Right now. What about other race directors? You know, you're, you're on USA triathlon board of directors. You obviously interact, I assume with other race directors. Um, have you heard of some of them just giving up and saying, I can't survive this. I'm, you know, we're not, we won't happen at all, even in the future. I know that there have been some that are looking at a specific point in time where it will no longer be workable. You know, like okay. if we hit this point, I don't right. see how the, how we're going to survive. Um, every company is a little bit different with what their profits look like, how their overhead is structured, how many employees they have, um, how many events, you know, maybe they have two huge events, but nothing the rest of the year, or maybe they have 20 small events that are now all impacted. So all of those things I think are impacting different race production companies a little bit differently. Everybody has been hurt by this, right? Because there simply is no great way to maintain steady and, um, I guess the income that you're used to when you can't produce, you know, what your product is. Right. So all of that has changed. I don't think that all event production companies will survive. Um, I don't think, um, all of them are, are in a good spot. Timing was a big deal with this year. So the ones that I think have been deeply affected and were immediately maybe had races that were coming up in late March or early April. And so yeah. they likely spent the majority of the funds on the race and then couldn't have the race. Right. And so they have that, to wait an entire year. Yeah, exactly. So the timing was really, really tight on some of those. Are, are there other races in your region that are actually happening and maybe scaled back? So everything seems to be very, very local, right? So if you're looking at a state and kind of how a state is responding, you're looking at all of those restrictions and then all of the, you know, virus changes and the transmission rates and all of those sorts of things. So you might have state regulations, but then beyond that, you're also looking at your municipalities and kind of what is, what is able to happen there. Um, so in Texas, we are not. Um, and I don't know of any events that have taken place. It is possible that there are some in rural areas uh, that are very small or that maybe are done kind of a, um, a little bit more makeshift, you know, it's a virtual race, but here's your course, you know, you can right. do it on this day. I know that in other parts of the country, there have been small events that have been successfully pulled off and followed all of, you know, sort of safety precautions and, um, done as much as they possibly could for their athletes to have a great experience. Um, but you know, it, it's made me laugh that in, in Arizona, Texas, and Florida, where I have events or event affiliates, all of them are, you know, in a, in rough shape as far as the right. health of the state is going. Yeah. It's not getting any better. Unfortunately, would, would you see a difference between running races and triathlon races in terms of which might come back first? I mean, they each have their own unique kind of barriers to entry in in the world of COVID, but is you know, it would just seem maybe a running race with a time trial start or small wave start might be the easiest events to get going. Yeah. I've actually thought about this a little bit because, you know, for a triathlon, if you are in open water, you know, that opens up the world a little bit because you can space and you can, you know, be in 
a time trial situation where you're starting one at a time or small waves, and that can help space out participants throughout the event. Right. In running events, the part, even if you have smaller waves, everybody needs to start and everybody needs to gather to get put into those waves. And so that's where I've been trying to, you know, picture what would this look like? You know, I'm thinking about the half marathon that I have in November, right? So what would it look like? Because you do have a mass gathering usually, even if you're doing that and then trying to sort everyone. Um, You also may be closer together than you might be if you're spaced out in a triathlon. So I think a lot of it is dependent on the size and the distances and the number of participants. Um, But the, the financial calculation is an interesting one that comes into play because for running events, one of the beauties of it are that if you close the road, you can hold a hundred people or a thousand people and it costs the same to close that same road. The triathlon, they tend to be more limited because it's longer distance, right? Like you're trying to close more of that road. It's more expensive. So, you know, there may be all these limiting factors and to safely pull it off, there may need to be some restrictions on the size. Um, but it's it's that calculation of if we are limiting the number of participants so that we can keep them as healthy as possible, have we hit the threshold to even break even on the race? Or is right. that going to be, you know, the next question of, you know, can we even pull this one off? So is it an all or nothing proposition? You know, we there's different phased guidelines from USA Triathlon, correct? They came out with a document. Right for race directors and we're in phase one, you know, virtual racing only phase two, I believe is uh, limited numbers, spacing phase three is almost a hundred percent. Are you thinking you need to wait till it it's all or nothing? Like we are back to normal or I'm not going to have an in-person race. You know, everybody has a different threshold, right? Of like risk tolerance and kind of what, what they're comfortable with personally. And then also what they're comfortable with, professionally in terms of offering for their athletes. I don't think it has to be an all or nothing. I think there are precautions that can be taken so that um, things can be safely done, well spaced out. You know, we're outside, we're exercising outside. So all of those are positives. What is a little bit difficult to consider is what does the spirit of the race feel like, right? So if you are able to execute it with, you know, measures in place that you feel comfortable um, are adhering to safety protocols and doing the best you can for your athletes, are you asking them to leave when they cross the finish line? Or are, is there an expo? Are, is there going to be a gathering point? Is it now less community feel and more individual feel so that you can keep people away from each other? You know, so there's kind of, you know, and and like I said, some of it, I think, gets really, really specific to that place, that venue, that community, that size of the event, um, all of those considerations. So it's there's a lot of layers to kind of figuring out how to how to move forward. Right. I mean, you mentioned it earlier. It's more about the gathering, you know, and that's not just participants. That's the family. That's the supporters and, you know, the community that you want to engage with. So yeah, you might be able to actually pull off a race and have it be relatively safe and everybody's risk tolerance is, is you know, managed um, with a lot of precautions. But then, like you said, are we just asking people to go home afterwards and have their own 
parties at home and virtual award ceremonies. Right. Or asking, you know, you can come, but none of your friends and family can cheer for you. (laughs) Right. That's where I'm wondering about the upcoming, you know, Tour de France, even, you know, athletes could be safe and, you know, held isolated in a hotel, but are are we going to have thousands of fans lighting the roads? Um, And you face the same, the same issues. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what it, I mean, just give me your, your kind of gut feeling. You, you have a race coming up and you're making a decision. Obviously, right. you said two months out whether that's mm-hmm. going to happen or not. Are there any additional approval processes now, you know, because of health? Just mm-hmm. you, you mentioned six um, applications that you had to, <laughs> you know, gain. Is there now a state health ordinance, uh, local, county? Is there now seven or eight instead of six? So... Not that I'm aware of so far with that one, um, but each event, like, so to give you an idea, each event takes place in a different venue that I put on and each of that, each of those different venues are also dealing with different municipalities, counties, cities, and states. So, so right. the half marathon that I produce in November, it's in Texas and New Mexico in two different, you know, states, counties, and towns. And so there's multiple levels of approvals that now you're dealing with two different state responses to COVID-19, which I'm sure you realize Texas and New Mexico are treating very, very differently. Right. So what may be allowable in one may not be allowable in another. Um, so that's all possible. Um, I have not seen additional permitting that's going through a public health department or that sort of thing. I do think that um, in putting together, like my plan, if I am trying to kind of gain support would really be to come with a comprehensive plan. And this is how everything is going to be treated. This is how the permitting agencies should be considering how this year will be different. Um, so I do think that, that all of those things are going to be considered by permitting agencies. Some right. of them have hard and fast rules and are like, we've pulled everything through October or we, you know, we're deciding week to week. You know, all of them are handling things a little bit differently. And that adds a lot of complexity to figuring out what you can expect, um, even two months down the line. Have you considered temperature checks? Like we've seen some grocery stores, et cetera, (laughs) taking temperature uh, of, uh, of people coming in the front doors. Oh, absolutely. So I think if I was, you know, and... And like I said, so I'm in the position right now so that I know my events have been canceled, you know, out through October. So if I was thinking about putting on an event in the next, you know, month or two, and I was in a state like that, I think I would be thinking about temperature checks, about pre-event surveys, you know, to go through a checklist of where you've been, have you been exposed, you know, just to kind of have that extra precaution and notice to participants that they need to be thinking about this. Um, so I think you would be going through all of those, all of those kinds of maneuvers to make sure that, that the people who are, are coming are coming healthy as much as we can possibly, possibly be at this point. Yeah. And you may not have body markings. You might have tattoos or something they put on prior to even showing up. Oh, for sure. I think there would be a lot of emphasis on athletes being self-sufficient, you know, right. so maybe instead of bottle handoff, it needs to be bring your own hydration and expect to, to use that and carry it. Picking up your own food rather than having it handed to you. You know, there's a lot of little things that I think um, would shift over to the athlete so that yeah. volunteers might be setting up and monitoring, but then they would be stepping away so that they also didn't have any unnecessary contact. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I've heard of even in Colorado, some small gravel bike races happening and aid stations are set up, but you have to fill your own water bottles. Um, you know, wave starts or start on your own. It, it's spread out, but it's all in the same day. You know, participants are really happy and it was smaller, under, under 150 people total. Right. Um, so we might see some of the, that, those type of events, you know, picking up. Well, and the benefit of that is that it's very personal, you know, so that, that creates an entirely different race environment that can still also be fantastic. How about any, uh, on the, you know, to kind of get more on the positive side of things, you know, are you seeing new runners Are you, you know, out on the trails? So I think people are outside and riding bikes and running more than we've ever seen before. Yeah. So it is not just the usual suspects. It is people who maybe, you know, were feeling stuck for a few weeks and then realize I just need to go outside. I just need to yeah. go for a walk. I have had this bike for years and I haven't been on it and I am going to go get it tuned up. So I think that we're seeing a really great resurgence in the value of an active lifestyle really. Yeah, I mean I've I'm definitely seeing the same thing. You know, the trails are packed. Um, I, I think a lot of that is, is new folks, um, bike sales I heard, uh, you know, have been way up. So, uh, you know, I'm hoping that we can nurture these new folks to stick with the running, to stick with the biking. They, you know, might, um, get more educated and think about actually doing event an event, you know, when things open up. So I'm hopeful that this means uh, growth, you know, for our, triathlon running, cycling, endurance in general, um, people are looking inward to try to become, you know, better through this experience. Right. Um, and we're seeing, you know, growth that I hope translates to more participants in the future. So is that, you know, some of the sentiment um, within USA Triathlon or even your own thoughts? You know, I think it's a huge opportunity. And I am hopeful that people who have maybe found running and cycling uh, through this time period, stick with it. Um, I, I think it's likely, I hope that we can capture that going forward and welcome them into racing. Um, I don't know what that translation is going to look like just because again, we don't know what the timeline looks like. Right. But I am super hopeful about it. I think people have returned to that joy of it, you know, and maybe it's not getting ready for, you know, the marathon that they've had charted at this point, but it's like, just enjoying the running. Yeah, exactly. And that, that process, you know, I, I like to say being an athlete isn't, you know, one month a year, right. you know, you can, you can improve year over year and it, it, you know, it's incremental steps. And so we can all embrace that process and become a better athlete, even without the actual event um, right there in front of us. But hopefully this all does lead to more growth. Um, hopefully we have a different conversation come early 2021 and your races are back on the calendar. Right. <laughs> That's the hope. You know, we, I think that there will be some things that probably stick around, you know, for a while, just because we're, it's going to take a while to, um, to envision what things look like going forward, right. In terms of gatherings and, um, health and safety precautions. Some of them will probably be positive. Some of them will be a little weird and then we'll figure out yeah. what things need to look like going forward. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for your thoughts. Um, I really applaud you for all the hard work you've done over the years. You have so many events and and obviously you've helped grow the sport immensely with all a lot of new athletes coming through your events. So appreciate that. Um, hopefully 
we have better times here in uh, beginning of 2021. So thank you so much for all your insight. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I am excited to be your first race director. <laughs> yeah, that's on me. Me too. Hopefully, we'll <laughs> definitely have more. <laughs> Thank you, Gabriella. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. For more episodes, visit trainingpeaks.com slash podcasts. Please head on over to Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you find your podcast to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Until next time, get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge. <laughs>